Now for the intro. The intro. It's now over. On with the show. This is Control Structure episode 36, Quantum Fluctuation Somewhere, for July 23rd, 2013, with hosts Andrew Bailey and Christopher Thompson, and now a bloody mess. Hey, big week. Yep, wonderfully big week. I built me a new computer, and I had my girlfriend come down for the weekend. Oh, did she build it? I taught her how to build it, but I'm not sure I trust her with $800 worth of computer parts. Hmm. Do you have some trust issues? Uh... Yes and no. Well, good enough. So... Let's see, this week I programmed my blog a little bit, and I want to stab my server now. Um, and it's also going pretty slow as it turns out, so I might need to fix that a little bit. Cool. I, I get my internet fixed tomorrow morning. Well, it seems to work now. Well, I'm getting a speed boost, and... Getting the connection fixed. Oh, so, so you can actually uh, not look like a poop smear? No, that's the camera that needs to be fixed. Basically, I just need to buy a new power, new one. Hmm. So, have you heard about the rules of the internet? Uh, a little bit. I do know Rule 34. Hmm. Well, these are only... Rule 36. Well, these are huh? only up to 10. Maybe 12, if, you're, if you want to include the bonus ones. So, um... Okay. I'm, I generally agree with the last four. Um... Let's see. I especially have a problem with the three things that never work. Voice chat, printers, and projectors. Those things always work. Um, I kind of doubt the printer works, but, like, I'm a projectionist at my church, and projectors definitely do work. Thank you. It's, it's just the inept uh, users who don't know how to set monitor outputs. Yep. Yeah. So, let's go ahead and start from the beginning. Okay. So, given enough time, any objects which can generate musical notes will be used to play the Super Mario Brothers theme on YouTube. I give it about true. That sounds about right. Judging by the response, the meanest thing you can do to people on the internet is to get them really good software for free. Man, people must really hate me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So, and then the three things that never work, we pretty much d- discussed that. Uh, number four, once a community has decided to dislike a person, topic, or idea, the conversation will shift from criticizing the idea to a competition about who can be the most scathing in their condemnation. <laughs> of course, it usually goes downhill because the next person always compares them to Hitler or something. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Any new form of electronic communication will first be dismissed as trivial and worthless until it produces a profound result, after which it will be described as obvious and boring. <laughs> Uh, if your website is full of assholes, it's your fault. <laughs> Most websites treat I like it and this is good as the same thing, leading to most people on the internet refusing to distinguish between I don't like it and it's not good. Yeah, something can be bad, but still be liked. Yep. For instance, bad movies. So, when a company or industry is facing changes due to business due, or excuse me, when a company or industry is facing changes to its business due to technology, it will argue against the need for change based on the moral importance of its work than trying to understand its social underpinnings. So that's pretty much what the recording industry and movie industry is doing. Uh. People will move mountains to earn a gold star by their name on the internet. <laughs> that is very true. Yeah. The only way to get useful feedback from people on the internet is to ask questions which are actually answerable instead of open-ended. Correct. Because when open-ended, you get some obscured result. Yeah, and like some sort of wishy-washy uh, response. Correct. So, and the bonus ones, um, never argue against logic with emotion or against emotion using logic. You know, I think this can be replied to relationships also. Yeah. We hate most and others what that which we fail to see in ourselves. Hmm. You know, I totally don't get that. Mostly because I hate myself. Hmm. So, anyways, sometimes, you know, because there is no science show on this network, and there still is no science show, sometimes we just gotta include stuff that is just cool. So, now for something not so useful. A lawnmower tractor that goes 130 miles an hour. Really? Yeah. That's about as good as a... tractor that goes about 60-70 miles an hour. So, uh, apparently, uh, Honda, you know, just decided to go crazy with this. (laughs) And made a lawnmower go from 0 to 60 in 4 seconds. Huh. So, um, yeah, and, uh, you know, not only did they, you know, soup up its power a little bit, they also improved its primary function, cutting grass. <laughs> so, do they use it to cut grass? Apparently. 
Cause that would be awesome. Okay, ready, set, go. Boom. Well, I, I'm pretty sure that it doesn't mow grass and go 130 at the same time. Oh, boring. So the high-powered motorbike engine gives the mower a 130 decibel roar and creates flames from the exhaust. Oh, wow. See, Honda has fitted two 4,000 RPM electric motors with metal brake cables attached to the flail, attached to flail the green stuff into submission. So, yeah, pretty interesting. Yep. So, how about a Kickstarter? Alrighty, for our Kickstarter today, we have Freedom of Information Act request machine. Yeah, so, as I understand it, this is uh, a, how should I say, a project of some journalism institute that is, you know, creating something that will help you submit your uh, uh, requests to government, and it'll, you know, help to automate and uh, track them. And uh, see their progress. Well, they have already doubled. So, looks like they're a little over a week in, and they're looks like they're almost twice their goal at thirty-five thousand dollars and some. Hmm. So, you know, maybe this might be able to weasel stuff out of the NSA. Who knows? <laughs> raspberry? Raspberry? Raspberry! 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 Blueberry! Do what? Wait, raspberry! <laughs> has a random number generator in hardware. So, like, you know how random numbers are generally uh, produced, like, with some weird algorithm? Yep. So, apparently, a Raspberry Pi, the CPU, has some sort of analog circuit or something that, I don't know, measures quantum fluctuations somewhere. And that uh, is, like, completely random, like, real-world randomness. So, like, algorithms can use that as, like, a completely random seed to a, uh, a random number generator. Interesting. So, the only bad part is about this is that, as it's currently implemented, uh, only Root can read this. Uh... Well, I'm sure that's going to change here within the next month or two. Probably. So, yeah, you don't have to uh, fake your random numbers anymore. So, and as a side note, um, apparently the third generation Intel Core i CPUs, I believe that's the Ivy Bridge CPUs, also have a random number generator on them. So, 
but unfortunately it's not really exposed as far as I know. So, okay. Yep. You know, I'm going to try making this uh, random generator picture art in um, .NET, Java, and a few other languages if I can. Nice. Yeah, I always, I've sort of forgotten how uh, that's like one of your life goals or something. Huh? I've sort of forgotten that's one of your life goals or something. To, 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 to build a random picture generator? Yeah. Well, I did start that, but at the current rate of technology, I n- it'd never be done in my lifetime. Or... I would need, I would need supercomputers. Or, rather, the lifetime of the universe. And it can be done in the lifetime of the universe. Now, however, viewing all the pictures will not. <laughs> so... So, uh, uh, since you're not really that involved with Linux, you probably don't know what Wine is. Oh, I do know what Wine is. And it's not the thing you get drunk off of. Oh, I know it's not the thing you get drunk off of. If I remember correctly, Wine is what they use to play, uh, Windows, run Windows application on, right? Yep. So, See, I do know something about wine, because that's the only way I could play video games. Except you run Windows. Huh? Except you run Windows now. Well, 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 like back in college. Right. When I was actually experimenting around. So, uh, Wine 1.6 was released, and now with 10,000 changes. So you can Windows while you Linux for work groups. <laughs> oh. But Linux sucks. Yeah, because apparently it does not reboot enough. It does not remind you about things. It doesn't boot or shut down properly. It goes too fast, so it must be missing things. And it does not have the genuine advantage. So, <laughs> so even with wine, you still won't be exactly at home. So. Yeah. So, um, you remember Ubuntu, right? Yeah. So, has it, uh, recently, um, it may have been losing its way, because it started out as, like, a Linux for everyone. That's kind of like what Ubuntu means, is, like, humanity towards, like, other humans or something. Uh, so, like, they made a distro that was easy to use and get involved with. And now, after several controversial decisions and releases, they've closed up a little bit. So, like, there's uh, an article here here about Tech Radar that sort of discusses this. They lost? They closed them up? No, like, uh, like their development process and decision-making processes aren't as uh, open to the community as they once were. Uh... Because they apparently changed their UI, like, to something that's almost completely unusable, so I hear. Hmm. So. Interesting. So, uh, in fact, uh, uh, Canonical, the people who actually do Ubuntu, they develop it, uh, Microsoft 
commits more to the Linux kernel than Canonical does. Which is amazing. Um, so Microsoft actually gives more suggestions? Yes, they commit more patches to Linux than, like, the leading Linux distribution does. Interesting. Um, but it turns out that's okay, because m- users care more about a bezer- better user experience than a better kernel. Interesting. So, yeah, they, they wanted to, you know, make a uh, Linux that everyone can use, and if it has a bad UI, no one's even going to bother with that. Except for the most hardcore people. Yeah, who were already using Linux anyway, and don't yeah. care about user experience. So, you remember OpenGL, right? Yeah, something you used to like, I believe. Yeah, and I still do, kind of. Kind of? Yeah. So, um, mostly because I'm using uh, Chris. I'm still here. Yeah, you look like you're... I just need to let my cat out to go to the bathroom. Hmm. I suppose that would cause a little bit of a problem. Yeah. So, um, anyways, uh, OpenGL. Uh, apparently the 4.4 specification was just released. So, unfortunately this is more of an incremental thing. It doesn't really have, uh, that many groundbreaking features in it. Um... Apparently, uh, along with this, they promoted some uh, extensions. Uh, For instance, I believe it's a sparse texture uh, extension, uh, which is essentially hardware support for mega-texturing. So you can have this huge texture that's like a million pixels wide or something, like much more than the video card can actually store and use. Uh, this sparse texture extension apparently, like, selectively loads portions of that. So you don't have to be John Carmack to do it. Nice. As we look forward with our new graphic APIs, Alex St. John looks back at how DirectX and Direct3D got started, and how specific choices innovated and then stagnated PC gaming. And... You may not have heard of this guy before, but Alex St. John is pretty much the guy who started DirectX. And if you read only one article mentioned in this podcast, this is it. Only one article? Yeah. If if you only read one article, this is it. Mm-hmm. So he goes over how the development... Uh, how the develop, you know, like game developing used to be when Windows 95 initially came out, but people were still writing games for DOS, and it was because you know Windows used up quite a bit of CPU and memory, and like there were no APIs in there that would allow you know very quick and uh, responsive uh, calls to you know draw graphics and make sound. So they decided to do something about this, and they made DirectX. So, and they, when it came to 3D, they, you know, had to choose a few things. uh, Because back in the day, you know, memory was expensive. 
but they decided to go with uh, uh, something called Z-buffering instead. Uh, this is, you know, essentially a way to figure out what is in front of uh, another polygon. So, like, for instance, if you have something behind something else, it won't get drawn. Because the Z-buffer actually holds the depth of, you know, like, how far away something is from the camera. Um, okay. So, whereas other uh, graphics techniques uh, actually had to sort the things from back to front. So you would draw the background first, and then draw things on top of the background. So, it just did it reverse. Essentially. Um, but uh, apparently that solution was kind of janky and did not produce pretty pictures. Mm. But they decided to go with the quality choice. And, you know, and even with, you know, memory, even with it being memory intensive and memory being kind of expensive back in those days, it eventually uh, worked out and you could pick up a... Uh, 3D chip, you know, on a graphics card for two, three hundred dollars, uh, which was, uh, you know, quite a deal when you consider that, you know, the only other solution was OpenGL, uh, which required a ten, a hundred thousand dollar workstation. Hundred thousand dollars? Yeah, that's equivalent to going to Newmont. <laughs> so you can either learn how to program or have a very expensive paperweight that does 3D graphics. Hmm. Well, granted that you'll be going to school for two years, technology should double by that time. It's actually quadruple in that time. Uh, in two years, no. But in either way, either way, it should still be useful. Yeah. So, so Alex here goes over how he designed, or rather, how the Direct 3D uh, uh, renderer pipeline was uh, constructed. So, uh, you know, this is, you know, the idea was was that, you know, hardware vendors, they would, you know, produce their, you know, processor, and, you know, it would get, uh, you know, things would get faster by the hardware supporting more and more of this pipeline. And eventually they, you know, did it all. And uh, at some point he left Microsoft and, you know, stopped following it. And... Um, he goes on about how uh, DirectX 8 came out, came out and how shaders and stuff was like the new thing and apparently Microsoft uh, teamed up with NVIDIA and they had an Xbox together. <laughs> and uh, and then he says something that was really strange that uh, apparently uh, from he says th from DirectX 8 to DirectX 11 that uh, hardly anybody used new 3D features, which I kind of disagree with, and I uh, posted a comment to that effect. Uh, but anyway, 
Apparently, he recently got back in to DirectX with 11.1, and he freaks out about how much the rendering pipeline has changed. And about how it's, you know, so much more complicated and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm not sure if he doesn't like it or what, but he ends up saying that with the, uh, like, the direct compute shaders that have hardly anything to do with the graphics pipeline at all, uh is pretty much the future because entire game engines and like custom graphics pipelines could be created on that, uh, you know, this general computing shader. Hmm. So yeah, this is a great read and it covers a lot more than what I said. Cool. Uh, and um, uh, Boot Magazine, which is now called Maximum PC, uh, had an article about DirectX's introduction, or rather, what it was supposed to be. And apparently, they uh, wanted to con- construct like a UFO in some uh, Air Force base hangar, and uh, you know, pretty much you know have. You know, DirectX be sort of like this alien technology being introduced or something. But I'm not exactly sure what happened, but it didn't happen. Mm. So, and uh, over on Stack Exchange, uh, there's a rather external and more antagonistic view of what happened between DirectX, or rather Direct3D and OpenGL. So, yep, have fun with that. Sounds good. Well, you know how there's not many women engineers? I'm aware of that. And apparently not many girls want to be engineers, but it's changing one toy at a time. Wow. I assume that's one not on. Yep. So apparently there's this toy called uh, Goldie's Block and the Spinning Machine. Yeah. So. And what's really, really interesting is it was originally nothing more than a prototype on Kickstarter. Yeah. Now it holds it holds its distinction as Am- as one of Amazon's top 100. Rank 20 out of this writing toy is available in 600 different Toys R Us stores and 400 other toy stores nationwide. Yeah, so this is uh, sort of amazing. And that A very successful Kickstarter. Yeah. So, uh, as an engineer herself, uh, Sterling, who created this, was floored by the lack of options for little girls in what she calls the pink aisle of the toy store. There were girl versions of toys like Legos and Lincoln Logs, but they were painted more of but they were little more than the same toys painted pink. So after doing some research herself through everything from talking to girls about their favorite toys to speaking with manufacturers, she settled on a prototype a construction and book set for girls aged 5 to 9. 
So my favorite story was when a mom wrote in about being in a public restroom with her daughter uh, where the toilet paper dispenser was broken. The girl said, Mommy, it's missing its axle. She'd learned the vocabulary from Goldie Blocks. Nice. So, yeah, on the final day of the Kickstarter, Toys R Us contacted Sterling. This summer, Goldie Blocks became available in the Mega Toy Chain for the first time. It's the final step in Goldie Blocks' transition from concept to commercial product. And uh, apparently, she now has seven employees. So, in advance of the shopping season, uh, she will launch additional books as well as an expansion pack of parts to go along with the original. So, yeah, the moral of the story is that crowdfunding works. Yep. So, uh, is your company not paying you enough? Uh, depends. Can I make can I make more for working less? Hmm. Probably, but you would need some skill to do that. <laughs> um. Apparently, this guy in China, I believe it was in Shenzhen, in Guangdong Province. That's like right next to Hong Kong. Uh. Apparently, this uh, game programmer uh, decided that, uh, you know, his company wasn't paying him enough. Uh, But then he got sick and he had to quit. Uh, He got a girlfriend, and uh, now they're selling flatbread uh, on the streets. And apparently, they're making a lot more money. Hmm. Interesting. Yep. Well, then again, they can charge quite a bit of money for those things. True. But then again... And the cost of... What, 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 restaurants? It's typically very lucrative if you can get customers. Yeah. And besides, the uh, streets in China are, like, packed. Yep. So, speaking of China, um, the New York Times has made a very cool HTML5 page that shows how HP products move from China to Europe. Really? Yeah. What's the tank doing in there? It's an old rusted tank by, uh, like, the Kazakhstan border pointed to China. Huh, cool. So, and this uses, uh, uh, like, I believe it's WebM video. And, like, you can see a, uh, a lift, you know, taking a, uh, cargo container out of a train car. Well, dip me in oil and call me slick. This is awesome. I know. And, uh, see, it's, like, almost at the bottom that is just, you know, on the train just going down the tracks. It looks an awful lot like Utah. Hmm. 
Well, clip for the driver looks Chinese, so... Interesting. Yep. So, uh, do you hate frivolous patents? Uh, besides the... No, I do not. (laughs) Well, there's a stack exchange for that, apparently, and it's called Ask Patents. Uh, Joel Spolsky, he's the CEO in charge of the place, uh, got the honors of being the first to snipe a bad patent application. It was from Microsoft about scaling icon sets, ironically defeated using using prior art with a dev guide from Microsoft. Wait, what? So, apparently, Microsoft tried to patent something, uh, like, several years after it was obvious and someone produced a developer guide on how to do this. Hmm. So, um, this is going to be pretty interesting, because what will happen when Apple, Google, Samsung, and other companies and entire industries get wind of the site to challenge their competitors' patents. Well, a bloody mess to be sure, but totally awesome for all the right reasons. So... There's another patented troll story. Yeah, so apparently this company called Lodsys is going around suing people who make iPhone apps. And I'm not exactly sure uh, why. I've, I've, oh yeah, two-way interaction configured to elicit user perception information through an upgrade process. Um, the, so apparently Lodsys has patented this, and uh, they're getting a lot of crap for it. As rightfully so. The Electronic Frontiers Foundation says that it's time to beat this troll. And has actually set up a, you know, campaign for it. So, uh, uh, do you use Yahoo Mail? Do I use what? Yahoo Mail. Uh, just for spam... <laughs> years and years ago. So, apparently, someone thinks that uh, Yahoo Mail is even better than Google. Um, so, like, he he's going over, like, the uh, key combinations of, you know, how to, you know, send mail, but that's, you know, very easy to get mixed up. Um, uh, he says that it's caused so much pain to me lately. A couple of emails sent accidentally because I pressed page down and hit space. Instead of moving the cursor to the bottom and adding a space, Gmail moved the focus from the text box to the send button and pressing pressing space uh, uh, made it send the message. Also, it's impossible to select text with shift plus page down. Unless you have a 30-inch monitor, which is presumably why all the Google engineers are completely unaware of this issue. So the reply is a UX nightmare on a laptop with the standard resolution of 1280 by 800 or 1366 by 768, which is apparently what every laptop is nowadays. 
Um, like especially like the laptops we have at work. Uh, I believe they're like 1366 or something. And uh, like my project manager only uses, you know, that screen. She doesn't have an external monitor or anything. Uh-oh. Yeah, and I kind of feel bad for that. Mm. So, you know about Finland, right? That they might get crowdsourced copyright laws? Yeah, apparently. So, they sort of have... Okay, first of all, what is crowdsourced copy law? So, um, I think we've discussed uh, We the People... Um, it's that one website at the White House that allows people to, you know, submit laws and stuff. Yep. So, apparently, Finland has this as well. But it's set up a little bit differently. Um, but it's actually for, like, the, uh, their version of Congress rather than their president. So, um... Apparently, like, their threshold is uh, 50,000 signatures or supporters within six months. Uh, So one of the proposals, which calls for a fairer copyright law, just reached that goal within one day of the deadline. So this uh, Common Sense and Copyright Act uh, wants to reduce penalties for copyright infringement, increase fair use, ban unfair clauses in recording contracts, and ease the ability for people to make copies of items they already own for backup and time-sharing purposes. Or time-shifting purposes. So, uh, last year, a house search resulted in an international outrage when it was revealed that the police unit raided a nine-year-old girl and confiscated her Winnie the Pooh laptop after an allegation of file-sharing. (laughs) so open ministry the organization that coordinates public proposals notes today's success breaks the old tradition where lobbyists would draft copyright law Uh, members of parliament are quite open about the fact that copyright laws are handed down to them from international lobbyists so maybe we could do that here maybe so haven't worked with uh, mobile websites too much, have you? Actually, I have. Really? Yeah, I developed a mobile website at my work for for managers to be able to see what's going on in the system. Nice. So, yep. um, did you hear about something called responsive web design? Nope. Um, 
but did you design the website a little bit differently than you would have uh, if it were on a desktop? Yep. Okay, that's good. Um, there's this thing called responsive web design that, uh, like, apparently reconfigures the layout of a website when the browser window gets really small, like on a phone. So, I've been trying to do that with my website, but apparently I've been having problems. And the issue is that, uh, mobile browsers measure, measure pixels a bit differently than desktop browsers do. Um, so, like, for, apparently for every single pixel on a phone, it counts them as, like, two or three. So, you know, even though, you know, you set the resolution in your CSS file to, like, maximum width of, like, this phone, it still won't do anything. You need to, you know, count the pixels a little bit differently. So to normalize them into dimensions into into what you can actually use, you put in, like, this one meta tag. Um, thanks to Ryan, uh, our good friend Ryan, he, uh suggested this and I put it on my blog and apparently now it works as intended. Hmm, cool. So, I heard you built a computer. Yes, you heard that correctly. So, what's it like? I was playing with fire. Yeah. So, I built me a new computer in an, in an Antec... Nine nine hundred computer case with sixteen gigs of RAM. I can upgrade it to thirty two still with an eight core four gigahertz AMD processor, two one terabyte hard drives, and a kick ass graphic card that I got from my good old friend Andrew. Well, I guess for most graphics cards, it would probably still be kick-ass. It is. It still gets all the games done. Yep. So, a few challenges I faced was first, the motherboard. I installed the motherboard, installed a few of the other components, and then went to put that little slip cover on the back and realized that goes in first. What little slip cover? You know the thing that makes it look pretty in the back for the motherboard? Oh, like uh, where the ports are? Yeah. Yeah, that, that thing has always been janky. That thing first. Yeah, that thing has always been a little bit janky. Um, like, especially they have clips on, like, the end where the motherboard is. So if you put the motherboard up to it, it, like, blocks it. You can't, like, shove it up in there unless you bend those back. Uh. So that was the first challenge. The second challenge was the fan power. The the, the new case fans came with the, with the three-port that connects to the motherboard. And my motherboard only had two, and I needed to fit four of them in. Ah, uh, but luckily my old case has the exact thing is the exact same as my new case, so I was able to switch out two of the fans for for the old style of power, and which it just so happened that my old motherboard had two open slots for those 
So everything worked out perfectly. Nice. Yep. So, like, especially with cases and fans. So, you know, most of the cases I've gotten have only had, like, one or two fans in them. And I've had to buy aftermarket fans to fill up the other slots. Mm. And I've always wondered... Game pre-installed with four fans. Okay, but I've always wondered why... Uh, case fans have like this nice long cord. It's like two feet. <laughs> Whereas, you know, you buy the aftermarket fans, you open them up, and the cords are like two inches. Like, you can barely use those. Well, why do you think they're called aftermarket? Because they're not installed with a case, you have to buy them separately. Yeah, I kind of ruined that joke. <laughs> you mean like the rejects? Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, my new computer's name is Darkness because just about every component is black. Apparently, except for the RAM. Yeah, which is blue. But that's fine. It was either blue or red. So... Uh, apparently Ryan doesn't think we're rejects, and has sent us feedback. Yeah, so. that was Ryan's name. Yeah, apparently I put a Q somewhere in there, but I don't care. We we know who this guy is. He's yep. there. He's there every time. Uh, he says that sound like you had a rough week. What do I always say? Watch out for cars. And I totally forgot about that. Um, he liked the epic radio silence at the beginning. Uh, I'm glad you liked it because Buckface liked it too. Um, and then in response to last week's Raspberry Pi that involved putting a barcode scanner on a microwave... Uh, how does the Raspberry Pi know what item you're cooking when you scan it? So I scan a bag of popcorn and put it in the microwave. Where does it look up the cooking time? Is it pre-programmed or in a database? And I believe uh, he had the database. Uh, I believe it was like the ideal uh, thing that he was going for was like a cyber cloud database. Hmm. But you better hope that doesn't get hacked. Well, just have plenty of backups. Well, you uh, change all the time to 666. <laughs> so, um, Ryan says that he hated Open Office despite his dad's insistence on using it. He loves Office and will not quit. And, you know, I remember back in the day that. You know, I knew that open office kind of sucked, especially for edge cases, like for pretty much anything that wasn't a pure wall of text. Uh, but it did the job and it was free, so that was good enough. Good enough with quotes around it. Yes, massive quotes around that. So, um... Uh Apparently, I don't remember GeoCity, and apparently that equates to me having no childhood. How come is it whenever I don't do something in my childhood that somebody else does, I have no childhood? You know, 
I'd like to know that too. Because apparently I missed a lot of things back in the 90s. I didn't know there was like a check of things to do in the 90s. Yeah, it's not like they were counting the things. Nope. Do we have something for the 21st deck? Well, for the 21st century? Hmm. For the 20th century? The 20th century? I don't know. I, I've screwed up on the century count. I think it's the 21st this one. century. This one. The one we're in right now. Yes. Hmm. I don't think there is, but... I um, think to do over the next decade. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, like, I remember GeoCities, and I learned to, uh, like, completely avoid uh, sites on GeoCities because they were always out of date and they were never relevant. So... Mm. And speaking of uh, childhood stuff, I have uh, 50 things that look just like your childhood. Well, maybe not your childhood, but, well, people's. Oh, really? That I I came across and I thought was kind of cool. Orange tape. I remember those. See-through phones. Yep. Ridiculously uncomfortable blow-up furniture. Never had those. A kid picks. A towering bowl of French toast crunch. So, yeah, tons of Choker other things. necklace. The hardest game you'll ever play. Water, waterfall ring tossed. Anyways. <laughs> Um, Ryan says that 10 megabytes is really tiny. 20 is still small. So, I try to suggest to normal people to use Squarespace for their web needs. Then, uh, they pay for it, so they use it. And they also have customer slash tech support, so people can feel like they're getting help, and they can have a place to vent their anger. So, I guess Ryan isn't up for a challenge, uh, the demo scene has been doing miracles with 64 kilobytes and 4 kilobytes and even smaller for decades. So this is just another platform for you to do something small with. So uh, Ryan says that MySpace was horrible. I don't think that Facebook is so complicated. Facebook has insane amounts of Facebook. They poached... They pooched... Pooched. Yeah, it's pooched. So many of the Moo Tools developers. Uh, Facebook doesn't use a third-party library because it's all in-house. Anyway, according to the Chrome Developer Tools, 37 external JavaScript files, 134 uncached items, over 5,000 unused CSS rules, 231 unused prefixed CSS properties, and so much more. 170 requests total at 380k transferred, and that's with a primed cache. And uh, he said that while listening to last week's episode, that he did a speed test on uh, the Nexus.tv. And uh, my uh, my blog has typically done well in speed tests, but I apparently get dinged for having my content expire time set to 60 minutes instead of forever. 
And then there's the obsession with pretty much every page speed website with CDNs, which uh, are absolutely ineffective and a waste of time for small guys like us, uh, both to set up and the ironically worst load times. And I actually read a blog post about someone who used a CDN for his blog one time, and it actually made it worse, uh, the load times worse, but I can't seem to find that post right now. I wonder how NeoCities would work as a CDN. Um, Ryan says that threads are hard. I don't really want to know, but honestly, I want to know. No JS for the win. So, um, uh, Ryan says that he remembers Opus getting into Skype. Hey, we're internet radio. Uh, the early MP3 files that he was producing before about episode 60 of ATN uh, sucked at 64 kilobit uh, constant bit rate. Uh, since switched over to variable bit rate, it does better at about level 7 compression. And gotta say that variable bit rate is definitely the way to go. I think I encode uh, control structure and our fringes at about uh, level 5. And, you know, I sort of aim to stick around uh, 70 kilobytes or so, or kilobits, excuse me, at 44.1 kilohertz. So, uh, according to testipv6.com, uh, Ryan has no IPv6 address externally, apparently. But then as he type, uh, then as he's typing this, he realized that the last 15 years of code to parse IPs will explode horribly when IPv6 gets pushed more. Uh, noting that the uh, addresses are totally different, completely different. And uh, Ryan agrees, Markdown for the win. I really want to write Markdown, but I fuse to make WordPress do it right now. I'll write ghost. I'll write more with ghost, maybe if I care. So, it seems like the version of Markdown that I'm using uh, is not a more advanced version or fork or something, because it doesn't support uh, uh, delete and abbreviation tags or tables natively. And I uh, first deployed it to uh, you know the update to my server. Uh, but now it seems that uh, sometime during that first night that spruce, my random sentence generator stopped working. Oh well, I've been neglect neglecting it for ages and only recently have I had concrete ideas to make it so much better. So this is excuse is good enough. Uh, which I fixed and apparently I just needed to restart the thing. Uh, but then I made the Jython interpreter that it runs in initialize on a separate thread so I can deploy faster, about 75% faster. Uh, the, but the Java EE7 managed threads and concurrency API totally fails to work for me. And I've had to make my own thread, which is something that apparently you're not supposed to do. Uh, so I pushed that to my server only to have it yell at me because I had not updated it to Java EE7 yet. I had the hardest time upgrading it, but now it's fine. So I'm looking forward to a more <laughs> equitable relationship. <laughs> <laughs> so if you would like me to uh, do my Saturday morning cartoon villain laugh for you, 
uh, go ahead and submit your suggestion or feedback or whatever using the contact form. And don't forget to select control show control structure in the drop down. Yep. And please mention that you want to be a guest on next week. Yes. Because we desperately need guests. Are you going to be here next week? Yes, I am. Good, because I need to get your vacation schedule. My what? Your vacation schedule. Uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas. And possibly Labor Day. Ah. So, let's see. It'll be coming up in about three weeks. I'll be off from work, but I'll be around here because I'll be going to that pinball tournament. Ah, cool. So... She the best. Yeah, I know I suck and I won't amount to anything. But it's cool. Hey, as long as you don't come in last place, you'll amount to something. You might be a disgrace to the family, but hey... (laughs) My family don't live around here. <laughs> so, today is International Backup Awareness Day, as every day is International Backup Awareness Day. So, back up your stuff. Yep. My blog does it every night. Nice. Yep. So, let's see. Yeah. I believe I need to do a run, a backup run tonight as well. So, thanks for reminding me. That's good. So, hi, Mom. I hope you're doing your backups. So, um, anyway, that seems to be about it. So, you know, uh, it rained earlier today, and it seems like only on the days we do the podcast does it rain here. I seem Possibly. To be, we seem to be cursed or something. Because it doesn't rain any other time. So, anyways, I uh, guess that's it. Uh, you're not doing anything uh, that uh, incredible, are you? Uh, um... No. Alright. So, uh, have a good one. You too.